We appreciate your presence this morning, as we did on Wednesday night. If, if you were not able to be with us, we put a song on the screen, as we have done with all of the songs today, and the response was uh, very positive, overwhelmingly so, and so we decided to do that today and look toward uh, perhaps doing that in the future with the elders' decision to make about uh, the paperless hymnal, as it is called, but we appreciate your input. I know the elders would. And uh, we uh, appreciate John. You're hired, John. Uh, you're hired, uh, John. <laughs> well, I forgot to tell Steve that he can leave out some of the stanzas if he'll just tell us to, uh, we, he can leave those out and we can leave them out before they ever get to the screen. So that way John doesn't have to flip through too fast. So I failed to tell Steve that. So uh, that's, uh, that's my dropping the ball there. But it worked out fine, I believe. And uh, appreciate uh, uh, very much the... Uh, uh, the uh, cooperation and uh, participation of all those in in doing so. I, I frankly think it will enhance our singing because it will uh, get our vo- our faces up uh, uh, better for the most part, and uh, I think it'll increase our uh, our singing in terms of its uh, its volume and the carry. And uh, some of us have had to move uh, back, not me, but my wife, I'm going with her uh, back there. <laughs> but uh, her neck won't let her look up uh, from a short distance. Brenda's in the same situation, so it's not that because we moved back, Tommy and Brenda followed us back there. It's, uh, it's because uh, Brenda and Janice both have the same issue. So, uh, but uh, it's not too far a walk down here, Richard. I was telling Richard and Mary, I know I might have to start early to get down here from back there, but uh, I made it at my age even, so. Yeah, we appreciate the presence of everyone uh, this morning. Two words, two words with which I begin this morning, convenience and conviction. Convenience and conviction. They really uh, sound very similar, don't they, when you uh, hear the sound of those two words, convenience, conviction, similar in sound, but certainly not similar at all when it comes to their meaning. And that's what I'd like for us to consider, conviction or convenience. Which is it? Which should it be? Which must it be in terms of our service to the Lord? If you look at a definition of convenience, it would be described in this way, something like this, suitability or personal comfort, uh, something that is suited to one's personal ease or comfort or to one's easy performance of some act or function. On the other hand, conviction would be defined something like this, a strong persuasion or belief. We might say a strong stand for what one believes, whether or not taking that stand is easy. That better describes conviction, and as you can see, while the words sound similar in terms of the sound of the two, they are poles apart in terms of their meaning. A bulletin article that we featured this week from Brother Wayne Jackson, that was at ChristianCourier.com, entitled Disney Church, gives you some idea of where some people are in terms of of their uh, supposed service to God or their supposed worship to God. They are in a convenient mindset. And if you've read the article, you see that. But one part of it, and I won't take time to to read the whole article, would you rather have your Sundays free to camp play golf or visit with family? Fine. We'll implement a, quote, quickie, unquote, convenience service for you at some other time, 
So your conscience will be mollified and you can enjoy your weekends. Then he mentions at the time of this article, uh, a news program had recently featured one group that has a Sunday drive through communion facility to accommodate those who prefer not to get out of the car on the way to the beach, etc. Well, that's convenience gone to seed, isn't it? That is indeed far from conviction. But I'd like for us to think about both conviction and convenience this morning as these two concepts relate to, to Scripture because that's where we need to fully appreciate them. First of all, look at some Old Testament examples with me. Old Testament examples of conviction, first of all. Uh, what about Noah? How convenient was it for Noah to build uh, that ark? When God instructed him to build the ark, not only did he give him uh, generic, or he did not give him generic instructions. In other words, he did not say to, uh, to Noah, I want you to build a giant boat. I'll leave, this, uh, I'll leave the dimensions to, to your discretion. Make a, uh, make a boat. Just make it large, and in every other aspect of it, you can do what's convenient for you. No, it was make yourself an ark of gopher wood. There's a specific kind of wood. Make rooms in the ark. Cover it inside and outside with pitch, and this is how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits. It's width 50 cubits. It's height 30 cubits. Very specific instructions. And in verse 22 of chapter 6, we read, Thus did Noah, according to all that God commanded him, so he did conviction. And it was after he had demonstrated that conviction to do what God had specifically instructed him to do, it was after the statement in Genesis 6.22 that he did all that God commanded him that we immediately read as we begin chapter 7, then the Lord said to Noah, come into the ark, you and all your household, because I have seen that you are what? Convicted. Well, that's not what the text says. I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. But he was a man of deep conviction that led him to be characterized by God himself as righteous. That is, doing right because it takes conviction to do right. Hebrews 11, the great chapter on faith and the great heroes of the faith. Of course, that list includes Noah. By faith, Noah, verse 7, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with what? Godly fear. We could say he moved with conviction. Godly fear that produced within him deep conviction. He prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. And you go back to verse 11 of chapter 1 of Hebrews and you find faith is the substance of things hoped for. Some translations say the Conviction of things not seen. Conviction. Conviction. Now look at a contrast in the Old Testament. Cain was a farmer. We're not told specifically why it was that Cain <clears throat> offered the fruit of the ground in sacrifice to God. We're not told that he was not sincere in offering that sacrifice as we've often talked about. We would have to give him the benefit of the doubt as to his sincerity, but we cannot give him the benefit of the doubt as to the gift that he offered because God rejected that gift. Now, we might conclude or assume that being a farmer and offering the fruit of the ground made it extremely convenient for him to offer the fruit of the ground, whereas it would have taken some effort to, 
to exchange his fruit, to barter that fruit perhaps, to buy an animal uh, in order to offer the blood sacrifice that God had obviously commanded both men to offer. And we conclude that from Scripture that he had told both these men what to offer. Was it convenience that, that caused Cain to surmise that offering the fruit of the ground would be just as acceptable? We're, we don't know. Perhaps it was. We do know this. He obviously didn't manifest strong conviction because strong conviction does not allow for variation. That is, varying from what God has specifically told us to do. There are some areas of expediency and judgment where obviously we're free to do things that are expedient where God's will has allowed us to do that, but worship to God is not one of those. Worship to God is not one of those. How many songs we sing in a particular worship service, that's one of those things we're free to determine. But not that we will play and sing, that's not an option. How many songs we sing, yes, that's a matter of expediency. Singing and playing as we sing, no, that goes out of the realm completely of expediency and into the realm of variation that conviction will not allow because conviction doesn't allow that kind of variation. Adam and Eve, obviously deep conviction would have presented, prevented sin from ever entering this world. And yet Eve's conviction, nor Adam's ultimately, was strong enough to keep sin out of the world. It was convenient for Adam to eat when his wife simply handed him that fruit and gave it to him and encouraged him to eat. It was most convenient to do so, but conviction would have kept him from doing so. What about Nadab and Abihu? Nadab and Abihu are very well known to us, aren't they? God told these men, sons of Aaron, the high priest himself, he told these men where to obtain the fire in order to use in their sacrifice, in their priestly duties. Leviticus chapter 16, verses 12 through 15, from the altar that is before the Lord, that is the altar from which the fire was to be obtained. And yet, Leviticus 10 tells us that what? They offered, as the King James says, strange fire. The New King James says profane fire. Why was it profane? Profane meaning what? Unholy, that which had not been sanctified. The fire that was sanctified came from a specific altar, and that was the specific altar from which they were to obtain that fire for use in their priestly duties. When they substituted another fire, it was fire. It was fire. Perhaps convenient fire? We don't know what motivated their deviation from what God had said. We just know they deviated, and we know that fire came down from God and consumed both those men, sons of the high priest. I'll never forget the illustration that B.J. Clark, I heard him use in a sermon one time where he was arguing with someone, or arguing, but discussing with someone about specific biblical authority, I suppose, was the context, and used Nadab and Abihu and cited Nadab and Abihu as examples of those who deviated from God's will when they shouldn't have, and the response from the individual with whom he was dealing was this, Nadab and Abihu, they're dead. And B.J.'s response says, yeah, that's right, they're dead. <laughs> Argument made, why were they dead? 
When did they die? Of old age, after doing God's will all of their lives? No. At a young age, after deviating from God's will. Because of lack of conviction, obviously. Naaman in 2 Kings 5 really didn't have conviction. He had predetermined ideas about what should be done to heal him of his leprosy. And when he didn't hear something that comported with those uh, prejudiced thoughts, he went away in a rage. Are not the rivers of, uh, uh, the rivers of Damascus, the Abana, and the Farfar, are they not better than this filthy Jordan River? And you're telling me to go dip seven times in the Jordan River? Who ever heard of such a thing? He didn't have enough conviction initially to do what the prophet sent word for him to do. But ultimately he did, and he was very glad that he did ultimately because he was cleansed as a result of ultimately having enough conviction to follow through with what God, through the prophet's messenger, had decreed. On the positive side, before we leave the Old Testament, the positive side, we look at Daniel, and we look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as they were called, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, their Hebrew names, and we see there in those four men tremendous examples of conviction. And not conviction after they had lived into old age and had practiced convenience for a long time and ultimately came to the conclusion that, you know, we've been doing what's convenient for us too long. We need to take a stand we need to be convicted now. No, they were young men. Young men taken from their homeland. Young men faced with the prospects of violating God's will as to what they were to eat and to what they were to drink in order to please the greatest, most powerful pagan ruler of their day. And yet, because of conviction, they absolutely refused to do it. Daniel, verse 8 of chapter 1, is said to have purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. That's conviction. He had strong conviction. How easy it would have been, how convenient it would have been for him to have determined, I'm righteous, God has allowed me to be brought into this strange land, I'm now faced with this challenge, I'm a young man, what does God expect of me anyway? Surely he'll understand if I do what is convenient. No, he did not think that way. He remained true to his conviction, and it worked out beautifully for him, didn't it? Not only on that occasion, but later on when those who were so insanely jealous of him that they devised a plan by which he would be killed by urging the king at that time, who was very friendly toward Daniel, to make a decree that for 30 days anyone who worshipped anyone else other than the king himself would be killed. And they knew that Daniel was going to keep praying to God. And right after the decree was signed, he went home and prayed to God. Three times a day, just like he had always done, with his face toward Jerusalem. And sure enough, his enemies went and reported to the king. Here's what he's done. And the king was, oh, he was unhappy about what he had done, but the, Mede, the law of the Medes and Persians was unalterable. He had signed the decree and he had to go through with it according to their law. So he did. But as he put him in that lion's den, the king himself expressed hope that Daniel's God would preserve him. 
And because of his conviction, Daniel's God did preserve him. And ultimately, the enemies themselves were destroyed by the very same means they had sought to destroy Daniel. What about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, there in Daniel 3. As that image was constructed, and everybody was to bow down to that image or die, into the fiery furnace with you would be the consequence of failing to worship it. And Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah said, we're not going to do it. Now, God may save us or he may not. He's capable, but if he chooses not to, then that's his decision in effect. But we're not going to bow down. And they didn't. And they came out of that fire furnace with not so much as the smell of smoke on their clothing. Conviction. A lack of it in some of the Old Testament examples we've briefly cited and a great example of conviction in men like Daniel and Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah, and Noah, and others we could cite, of course. Conviction was required by God then. Well, what about now? Have we reached a time, have we come now under a law that is uh, all grace and no law, and under the new covenant, conviction is not that critical to God anymore because you are now free to do what is convenient because that was the Old Testament. That was a different law. We're now under the perfect law of liberty as we've been studying on Sunday night as James uses that term. But we've already seen that law is not the law of license, the law of Christ, but the law of liberty. Liberty, freedom from the guilt of sin, freedom from the burden of sin, freedom from the punishment of sin, but not freedom from law. And who is a better example to cite as we come to the New Testament than Christ himself who lived his life with deep conviction, the deepest possible conviction. In John 6, verse 38, Jesus is recorded as saying, For I came not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus was convicted it wasn't convenient for Jesus to be baptized. He wasn't baptized for remission of sins, obviously, but to fulfill all righteousness. We're to be baptized for remission of sins. He had no sin, but to fulfill all righteousness, John, who was hesitant about baptizing and was told, suffer to be so, permit it to be, to fulfill all righteousness. But how far did Jesus go in order to be baptized by John? Just around the corner? No, some 60 miles he walked. Some 60 miles he walked to be baptized by John. That wasn't very convenient, was it? Not at all. He was convicted. How convenient was it for the Lord to give up equality with God and to humble himself, take the form of a bondservant and to come in the likeness of men and to be found in appearance as a, a man and to become obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross, as Paul describes that process of sacrifice in Philippians 2, 5 through 8, with which he begins, have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who gave up that equality, who came, who humbled himself, who died the death of Calvary. It took conviction, didn't it? The deepest possible conviction. But you say, that was Jesus. He was perfect. Well, Paul wasn't perfect. Paul wasn't sinless. 
And yet Paul is another New Testament example of one who demonstrated that kind of conviction. It wasn't con convenient for him to suffer, was it? But in Acts 21, as he was determined to go on to Jerusalem, and he was at Caesarea at the time, in Acts 21, he was told what? He was told that he was going to be bound. A prophet by the name of Agabus came down from Judea, and he conducted a little object lesson. He took Paul's belt, and he bound himself with that belt, and then he said, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And then Luke records, And when we heard these things, both we and those from that place pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. Don't go up to Jerusalem. What was Paul's response? Verse 13, Then Paul answered, What do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. That takes conviction. And you read 2 Corinthians 11, 23 through 28, and see how much conviction it takes to suffer what he suffered and describes in that text, where he says, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more in labors more abundant and stripes above measure and prisons more frequently and deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils of the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Besides the other things, what comes upon me daily my deep concern for all the churches. What a suffering list that is. And he wasn't trying to brag on himself. He was answering those who were doubting his apostleship and claiming he was a false apostle. And he was defending himself. Does someone who is not truly dedicated in effect, who is not truly an apostle, does someone suffer like that? who doesn't have that kind of deep conviction, that was his answer to those who questioned his authority as an apostle of Christ. But then by way of contrast in the New Testament, you see the Pharisees, and the scribes, those many of the Jews of Jesus' day, they didn't have that kind of conviction. Even when John came to prepare the way of the Lord and was baptizing, when they came, the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the counsel of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. That's an interesting statement, isn't it, in Luke 7, verse 30? These Pharisees and lawyers did what? They rejected the counsel of God for themselves. The counsel of God, and then the phrase is added, not having been baptized by him. What does that say about baptism? It was the counsel of God and it prepared a people for the Lord. And that same thing can be said of baptism today in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It is one 
baptism, the only one baptism, that burial that saves us from sin and to reject it is to reject the counsel of the Lord against yourself. That's still true, even with the baptism that is still valid today. John's baptism served its purpose and was done away, but even when it was in, when it was in power or authority or had power and authority for remission of sins, it was the counsel of God and those who refused it were rejecting the counsel of God. And tragically today, baptism under the new covenant in the name of the Christ is rejected by so many people. Obedience is not always convenient. That's the point, isn't it? It's not always convenient to be obedient. It's convenient to overlook sin. It's convenient to overlook error. But what did Paul say as he wrote to the Galatians in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 10? Do I seek to please men, persuade men, or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a servant of Christ. So it's easy and convenient to overlook sin in others and error, but are we trying to please men or are we trying to please God? It would be convenient to simply be a part of some denominational group, perhaps more convenient than, uh, than to be a part of the Lord's church. Certainly more convenient from the standpoint of the great majority of those in the religious world who embrace denominationalism on a widespread Basis, and it would certainly bring to your life much less persecution, much less uh, confrontation to go along with denominationalism. And yet, as we talked about in the Bible class this morning, you can't do that if you're convicted because of what the Bible says about those who have embraced the religions of men and who worship according to the traditions of men rather than by the word of God. These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, Jesus said, but their heart is far from me. And verse 9 of Matthew 15 says, And in vain, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. That's denominationalism in a nutshell, summed up by the Lord long before denominationalism, as we know it today, reared its head. But the Lord anticipated and the Lord dealt with error in his day and error that would crop up in any day to come as long as time stands. It's not convenient. It takes conviction to stand against that which the world as a whole has embraced. It's not convenient to do that, but it takes conviction. You know, it wasn't convenient for the Jews to go to Jerusalem, the males, three times a year. But they were to do it because God had said to do it. It's more convenient to be sprinkled for baptism rather than buried in baptism. And the first recorded case of sprinkling was with a man named Novation who was on his sickbed. And because he was on his sickbed, it wasn't convenient for him to be buried in baptism. So that's the first recorded case that we know of of sprinkling. And it caused quite a stir when it occurred. Too. But convenience dictated sprinkling. 
It's not always convenient to visit the sick, to meet their needs, to help the poor. It's not always convenient to be at Bible study and worship periods. It's not convenient to keep oneself unspotted from the world, and yet we're told to do that very thing. It's not always convenient to teach others, and yet we have that responsibility to do what we can to teach others. This may not be a convenient time for you to become a Christian if you're not a Christian this morning. You may think the way a man named Felix did long ago when he told the Apostle Paul in Acts 24, 25, go your way for this time. and When I have a convenient season, I'll call for you. Convenience. As far as we know, he never made that call. Oh, he saw Paul several times after that. The next verse says he kept bringing him back because he thought Paul was going to give him money to release him. He was after a bribe rather than thinking as he should have thought. Convenience must not dictate what we do to please God. It takes conviction. You may think this is not a convenient time. There may never come a convenient time. But we cannot think in those terms. We have to think in terms of the conviction that God in every dispensation has always required of his people in order to be pleasing to him. And when we show and demonstrate that conviction in obedience to his will, we trust him to bless us as he did Daniel and Hananiah and Michelle and Azariah and as he did Noah and his family and as he has done from the beginning of his dealings with man whom he created in his own image and whom he did, who he desires to come to him on his terms, not ours. Conviction, not convenience. We pray you'll have a conviction to do what needs to be done if you're not a child of God this morning. The conviction to come home to your first love if you have wandered by convenience or for any other reason from that conviction that once characterized your life and that's known in a public way that needs to be dealt with in a public way then respond in that same public way. If not, then privately, privately deal with matters that are private between you and God that perhaps you need to deal with privately. And for those who need to deal with nothing in terms of the change in your life this morning, may you never lose sight of the conviction that is required, not the convenience, but the conviction that is required and the blessings that come from that conviction. There are no blessings in convenience when it comes to serving the Lord. The only blessings come from conviction. If you need to respond this morning, will you come now as we stand and sing to encourage?
Jesus is pleading, pleading for you and for me. Why should we linger and heed not his mercies, mercies for you and for me? for the Lord's Supper.
was willing to die in my stead, that a soul so unworthy might live, and the path to the cross he Heavenly Father, we come to you at this time thanking you for the opportunity to be here to partake of this bread, which to us represents the body of your Son who went to the cross willingly so that we may have remission of our sins. As we partake of this, we hope that we do so in a manner that is well-pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Let us bow. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we continue our thanks to you for this fruit of the vine, which represents the blood of our Lord and Savior, which was shed upon that cross. May we take of it in manner pleasing to thee, is our prayer through Christ's name. Amen.